belting out our arias while delivering hypo sprays to the buttocks. It's Vidra, please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. And Peter, before we launch into a discussion of this week's episode, I did want to give a bit of a shout out, if that's okay with you. By all means. You'll allow it. I appreciate it. Uh, God, you know, I was going to drop and make it so there, and I just... Fuck Picard, man. (laughs) (laughs) There, There is my soul. There's a scab on my soul in the place where my love of Jean-Luc Picard used to be. So uh, you some, go, scar, some scars take time to heal. It's okay. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to a podcast uh, that I listened to actually uh, this uh, past week, the Voyager season eight podcast. So this is a gentleman, uh, it's an Australian accent. So it might be adjacent to our friends uh, from Hale and well met uh, that, uh, has been doing essentially audiobook style dramas for a theoretical Voyager season eight. And uh, he put out a whole episode, I would say maybe an hour, 15 minutes long of him doing the audiobook. And he really captured well, like the voice of the characters in a way that felt very authentic and uh, listened to the whole thing. It was really good. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to his next installment. So uh, if you are the kind of person that you think, yes, I would like to listen to someone's uh, audio drama style Voyager season eight hypotheticals. You you probably do listen to the show and you should listen to the Voyager season eight podcast. The episode that I would recommend listening to is Care Taken, which is basically just the full version of the episode. He did a few like clips. He did a few things kind of like discussing his thought process. It was all interesting in its own right, but like the full episode's worth checking out. So just wanted to put that out there. How'd you and come also, across him? Just like Twitter. It's like the one good thing Twitter's done in 2020. So there you go. Well, but uh, speaking speaking of things that are just uh, kind of out there, what did we watch this week? Season six, episode four, Tinker, Tenor, Doctor, Spy. The the title is a send up of a very famous uh, uh, British spy novel slash movie, Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy. Strong recommendation to the feature movie, which I believe is actually on Netflix. If you have a Netflix subscription, it's got Gary Oldman in it. Uh, it's a great way to kind of consume it dry, but good if you like spy stuff. Um, the episode itself, though, is a total street comedy. This is absolutely just in the vein of Bride of Chaotica meant entirely to be played for laughs with a little bit of character growth for the doctor. Uh, it's uh it's fun. I enjoy this one. I particularly like the ham-handed Jim Halpert turn to camera gag that they use repeatedly uh, during the uh, dream sequences in this episode that just made me actually laugh. So this is teleplay by Joe Manowski, story by Bill Vallely, which is a name I've never heard before, and directed by John Bruno, and I'm not familiar with any of his previous entries and directing for us. But uh, Joe Manowski's been around the block. No Brian Fuller, no uh, specific mention of Bran on this. We are now out of the the Ronald Moore trilogy, and we're back yeah. into regular rotation, things to be expected Voyager. I I didn't really care for this one, man. It's it's a little too much comedy. There's a lot of why is this happening? Uh, 
I will say the aliens are a cool concept and I look forward to talking to them. I, I'll, I'll save those conversations when we get in a little deeper. Uh, and there's there's a couple good confusion points in here where you don't know if what you're seeing is reality or uh, a dream sequence. So oftentimes when we disagree on an episode, I, I like call on to question your taste. And this I actually understand it more like if if this is c- comedy is just one of those things where it, if it's funny to you, it's funny. If it's not, it's not. I am a sight gag guy. I love sight gags. And this has got a lot of sight gags in it. And so I think it's funny. And that just increases my uh, my enjoyment of it. It, it. I enjoyed it so much. I created a meme of you from yeah. it. The butt Did you enjoy me. my meme? Yeah, the butt touching meme. I Immediately when I see someone engaging in sexual harassment, I think of you, Peter. <laughs> I just wanted you to know that. But if you don't think something's funny, that's just that's just the way it is. You know, I'm not life. calling this. I'm not calling this an 1159. I'm not calling this a uh, what was the seven of nine musical? My fair someone lady. to watch over me. You know, it's not one of those. This is this is a C plus episode for me. Uh, and it wasn't miserable to watch. It's just. Right. I, you didn't find it as funny as I did, so you didn't enjoy it. Now, having just in this case, I get it. Having just listened to our airing of um, what was the Borg Quartet episode two episodes ago? The one where there's uh, no social distancing, no social distancing, whatever that one is. Yeah. Survival instinct. I stated in that, you know, between the Equinox crew we've just onboarded and um, the uh, uh, Bajoran Starfleet officer, former Borg, who has 30 days to live. I made a statement that, you know, there's so many excellent stories waiting to be told right now just on the crew changes alone that, you know, if you're not focused, if if every episode moving forward is not fucking awesome, then it's a crying shame that you're telling some other story other than those Voyager crew episodes. And this, I think, is the first real cult. Well, that fucking Balana Klingon episode, which I thought was terrible, would have been the first culprit. And this is the second one. Like, I there's better things to be doing with our time right now. So uh, we begin with a little monologue by the doctor in the mess hall. Uh, we see that he has a audience assembled and then he starts bringing in to some, I don't know if it's opera or, or just singing, whatever. And the crew, the bridge crew seems rather engaged. I can't help but wonder how fucking bored the extras in that scene had to be because there is no engagement whatsoever from the nameless randos in the background. One thing I looked into the uh, memory alpha for was confirmation one way or another that it is, in fact, Robert Picardo singing in this teaser. Uh, it certainly seemed like it was. I think it was him, but there was no confirmation one way or another that that I saw in the memory alpha that it it, it, it was or was not his voice. But uh, he does a good job of singing opera. Yeah. Singing in a, an Italian uh, aria. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, uh, but he is he's going at it in this scene. So uh, someone out there that's listening to this, maybe Jack, maybe uh, one of our other uh, 
Voyager super fans will be able to clarify for us if this is Picardo's voice, but I would love to act to know. And if it is that he does a damn fine job singing opera's hard. <laughs> it must have physically killed somebody in the writer's room to have singing in a scene where Jerry Ryan was present and Jerry Ryan not to also be singing. I think this is the first time in the <laughs> yeah. series as a whole that there has been singing and her mouth being shut during it. So, uh, you know, many Bathan lives uh, were, were lost to bring that scene to us. We get a little deeper in. Tuvok starts getting all choked up. We get shades of Sarek from the uh, Sarek goes crazy and needs to mind meld Picard to get through the negotiations of TNG. Oh, he's uh, got Ponfar. It's different. He's got he's got a case of the to the the fuck energy. Yeah, but it's as the same. Seen. It's the same deal where you see a Vulcan crying during a musical performance, like you know, oh, right, right. shit, real fucky. Um, you know, he has a little standoff scene. I thought the song incorporating, you know, hey, Paris, put the hypo spray in my hand and I'm going to shoot him in the ass with it. Like that was cute. Whatever. Uh, Doctor saves the day. The whole thing's a big uh, daydream fantasy, whatever. But while we're watching that, it's making me think. And I guess this is the same statement that could be said about Data's violin recitals, right? Watching a hologram sing, watching a android play the violin, like, is that something really worth a concert two hour block of uh, of people's time sitting there? I mean, because basically you're just watching an MP3, right? He's going to hit every note. It's going to be perfect. Where is the enjoyment for the audience? I see what you're saying, right? Like. How impressive is is it really for a computer to do something that is a creative endeavor? It's it for for me for for data. It's actually less impressive because he's just so able to perfectly recreate things instantly, right? Like data is in, on a technical level of Mary Sue, but he's emotionally stunted, and that's kind of like oh, I can recreate. I can recreate a perfect version of some other person doing this thing, but where he develops as a character is like being able to engage in those endeavors on a creative level on his own. Right. Which is what's kind of like missing at first and what kind of slowly develops over time for him. Yes. It's more interesting for me for the doctor because the doctor clearly doesn't have that capacity. We've had a lot of episodes about the limitations of his program, uh, this is one of them, frankly, ultimately. And so him like learning to sing opera, he's got to like program that in and, and figure that out. And part of how it is that he figures it out is here, you know, like heuristically just practicing it seems to be like physically he has to practice it for his program to actually do it. And uh, I, I think that makes it more interesting. But they don't ever dive into the details of all this stuff. So you're left with the same question that you've just posed, which is how interesting really is this if he's a computer program and he could just say, I want to be able to sing opera now. I, they leave you with an impression that's a little bit more complicated than that because of the nature of the very episode we're watching. Uh, but they don't do enough to really explain what's going on. We're going too deep on this. 
uh, but that's on brand for us. The doctor. <laughs> this is this is an hour long podcast about a twenty six year old television show. Going too deep is what we do. The five minutes of our conversation is usually more consideration than an entire writer room would show over the course of however long it takes to write these things. Um, his, and again, this is a daydream. We'll find out. Nobody was really there to listen to his recital, but I don't think it is uh, out of the scope of reality that a, a very small knit crew that is extremely bored on a very long drive home would indulge him by going to listen to this. I would find more artistic value or more more value period in like his slideshow presentation of all the pictures he's taken because that I think is a more creative outlet. You know, what what would a perfect being not a perfect being, but what would a a technically perfect being what kind of pictures would they find interesting? What kind of angles could they get versus, you know, a human eye? So as far as the audience worthy um, arts he has expressed, I, I would go with his photography over him singing or doing something else. At least, you know, if he's the only participant, if there was a play, if there was a, a, a multi-person musical operation, you know, he'd be a fun part to that, but whatever. So anyways, this whole thing's a fantasy. Um, we find out that the doctor has once again, this is what time number three. He's been in there fucking around with his own code. Yes, at least the last time being the darkling. I want to say where he had like a full on, uh, Mr. Hyde alternate persona. That was like Byron and some other, I don't know <laughs> who else was in there. <laughs> I think, uh, David Koresh, maybe, and uh, the cannibal, whatever his name was. But yeah, the the doctor's fucking around with his own code again, and uh, he's he's doing the daydreaming thing for whatever fucking reason. Uh, the only reason I can come up with is that it's important for the writers to make sure we know 110% that the doctor is horny. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure how hormones within a holographic being work not an expert but this is a doctor who wants to fuck and he wants to fuck every lady on this ship every single one of them all of the ladies why did the delaney sisters not get involved in this episode i don't know uh, as we're sitting there talking about it i want to jump back to i don't even remember what episode it was where the doctor turned on Belana Torres's uh, wall communications in her bathroom and told her to get naked in front of him. And at the time, we just laughed it off as saying, it's just a holographic doctor. What does he care? He very clearly cares, or he has evolved to care about what Belana's boobies look like because Belana Torres, who he has tried to kill more than his fair share and who has tormented him right back, is is one of the many women he is trying to romance in these dreams. In fact, Bellata is the person in one of his uh, his uh, fantasies that he is dumping. <laughs> he hits it and quits it. Like Janeway wants is is the one who wants him to touch it. He she wants her butt touched. Uh, of course, Seven of Nine is who he's painting naked. Uh, but it's Bellana he's trying to dump in and uh, send back to Tom Paris, right? Like. 
That's a lot to unpack, right? Does does the computer of Voyager want to have sex with its with its occupants? Like there's just there's a there's a real HAL 9000 <laughs> dark path to take into this episode. Back off of the fact that he is a hologram and why he is having sexual impulses in the first place is kind of a head scratcher. Uh, Let's just focus on the fact that he is everybody's doctor and it has now been exposed that he is having like crazy jack off fantasies about (laughs) all of his patients. Vivid jack off fantasies, like including the captain. Yeah, his boss, his boss. Uh, hmm. I, I think basically Jerry Ryan is reduced in in the most explicit way in this episode of being a sexual object in a way that she is typically more implied, right? Like in this, it's explicit. In this, she, in most of her appearances, she is the doctor's sexual object. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Like, out. For real. T- yeah. Just, just there it is. Which – Speaking to the titties out scene, so one of these daydreams um, will be exploring, you know, at a certain point it becomes a problem. The crew becomes aware of it and they start broadcasting these fantasies he's having to the holodeck so senior staff can observe him to try to troubleshoot him. But that scene where like everybody walks in and it's like Janeway and Kim and Seven to Nine and maybe even Torres, they're yeah, looking they're at the doctor painting Seven, but that means sevens laying there naked in front of everybody like oh that that well the pan over shot it was one of the great comedy moments in the episode because they're they've we're kind of jumping around but whatever right like it's a comedy episode so telling it in linear detail is it doesn't doesn't matter as much At, at that point in the episode they have isolated that he's having he's he's come forward and saying i i alter my program to let me daydream but now it's happening to me all the time it takes over his program and they like are broadcasting it to the holodeck trying to assess what's going on. And Kim like calls the doctor, uh, calls the captain and says, you should come up here, right? Which we always talk about is like, you would never do that to your boss. Just tell your boss what's happening. But in this case, it's like actually justified. Hey, Kim, you got to get up here. Seven's titties is out. They're huge. <laughs> so they do the pan over shot. And in in his dream he's in the cargo bay and seven's you know doing the classic art pose nude and he's like he's got the charcoal and the, the french beret and all that and like seven is just non-pulse just looking at this like great right like there's my titties and then right next to her, her is uh is harry kim and they don't like focus on him if you look at that scene he's like mouth is open and he is staring dead ass at her tits i completely miss abs- that it's absolutely what he's doing. He's just like, uh, bazinga. You know, like he's just. Hey, yo, back this, back this program up. I need this for we, more uh, research. Yeah. Pull this one off the buffer for my spank bank is what he's thinking. Like he's staring at her tits with his mouth just a little open. Like, uh, like it's, it's something it's uh it's a great comedy shot, but it's in the background. So you have to, you have to focus on it to see it, but it's definitely there. Uh, but uh, so the, the overall premise of the episode, just to sort of provide a little bit of structure to our discussion. The doctor's having his, his technical fault. They deal with that. There's a lot of daydreams. They're all comedically oriented. If he's all the women want to fuck him. 
Uh, he becomes the emergency command hologram and help des- destroys a Borg sphere uh, and saves the ship. Um, he's, you know, appreciated by the crew and and there's a more heartfelt side to it. But uh, he's happening. engineering weapons of mass destruction. That's that's another thing that's kind of a concern for me is when you're, you know, you're you're. Your AI, which should already theoretically have some sort of um, killings not okay protocol, which we know the doctor doesn't have. And then also the fact he's a doctor and, you know, do no harm. But one of his fantasies is that he's making the Death Star reality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, this is a man who all the way back in season two was a terrorist mastermind. He was, you know, Colonel Campbell. Uh, it's a solid suitor. So he's got a history of murder that we have cataloged every time it's come across. Like mm. he is one keystroke away from his ethical subroutines giving way to a murder machine. I'm going to tell you right it, now that that part of Equinox 2, I think, is going to be my my final pick for the weakest shit award for season six. Like that's unforgivable. All of that is happening. And. He's having technical issues and, you know, his shipmates trying to fix it. But the space plot comes in when uh, these dreams are being observed because they're, you know, they're going to they're voyagers flying by. They're going to check out a planet because that's what they do. You know, fucking, you know, gallivanting across the Delta Quadrant, you know, checking, checking out random planets. This scene I thought was pretty good. Um Janeway comes on the bridge and uh, or no, 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 uh, it's Chakotay comes on the bridge and we've got a nebula up on the view screen. He's like, wow, where did that come from? That wasn't there, you know, a minute ago. And Janeway's like, yeah, it just kind of popped up on us. And then Chakotay's like, well, if you want something a little bit more dramatic, you've got a uh, uh, an official complaint that's been registered by the doctor. And Janeway does this total bitch uh, move where she like starts openly reading the doctor's uh, formal complaint, like just out in public on the bridge in front of everybody and kind of mocking it, which wouldn't be the most unprofessional thing Janeway's ever done, but whatever. And in it, we kind of get this tertiary plot, which is the doctor wants a more active role in the ship and he wants to have some some command instruction and some extra authority, which as we have discussed at great length is totally something that should happen because the doctor has proven he can do everybody's job better than they can. And he's also invincible. And when everybody else gets like psychically trapped, he's still pretty calm and in control. And in fact, they have trusted him with, you know, operations of the ships many times. So Janeway putting up the fight she does initially on this is silly, but are we basically to take from this scene that like part of the technology suite of these uh, alien baddies is that they can, again, to, to go along the Metal Gear vibe we've already laid out here, can they just pop this nebula out kind of like a cardboard box to hide in? Good question. I never established that if this was the creation of the aliens or not. Um, so that would be pretty sweet tech if they could. I'd like to 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 go back just a second to something you said though about the doctor as a command figure wasn't like all this already a plot point from season one 
where they have to give him the command codes because like the alien that was giving everyone terrible uh, or giving everyone like fantasy visions or something like one of those season one slash early season two episodes where some the horrific, yeah the horrific delta quadrant alien that could just fuck with their brains was doing shit mm-hmm. and so he had to be trusted with commanding the vessel like Janeway, you have yourself given command to him. I was desperate for a line from the doctor when she he finally goes to talk to her about it of him like, yeah, I've actually been in command of the ship before. Like, remember, it was me and, and fucking seven of nine trying to get this whole ship through a goddamn nebula or like or me and Suter or me holding all the Borg info like. This is one of my major complaints about Voyagers when there's this lack of recognition of what their own episodes have established. And the doctor has been the the key holder, the linchpin, the ace up the sleeve so many times to pull the ship back from the brink of disaster when everybody else is incapacitated that for her to be stubborn about this is just uh, it's it's unforgivable. It's painful. I will say that as someone who's obviously invested in the show at this point and we're watching every episode and we're taking notes and we're talking about it for hours upon hours to the tune of 130 hours worth of discussion to this point. If not, if not a great deal more, if you count kind of all of our supplementary stuff, Jesus, Um, you know, it's, it's really sad and painful to see that there wasn't, even the presence of mind put in a line to say for the doctor to say during the discussion, a simple acknowledgement of like, there has been several crises that have come across during our journeys to the Delta Quadrant where I've had to take a command role, whether it be alien pathogens or, or Caesars, Caesars of the ship. It just makes sense for me to have this capacity to, to fully realize my potential in this regard. That's it. I don't need a, I don't need 15 minutes on when he, you know, he and him and Lon were killing Kazon or, or when they were piloting through a nebula or whatever the fuck, like, or dealing with uh, Napoleon dynamite mind vampires. Like, yeah, we've watched the show, right? And we just need a second of, Hey, if you've watched the show, you know there's probably a reason for this to be a thing, right? Yep. Yep. That's it. Just a little bit. Just tickle our balls a little bit, Voyager writers. Why can't you do that? Why can't you? Another you know. page in the many, the book of many times we've said this exact thing, whether it's about. It is. Uh, but as, and we may sound like a, a, a bit of a broken record, but at the same time, every other Star Trek show managed to not fall into this trap. Like I not to spoil too much for you, but both DS9 and Enterprise, which occurs after this and is on the UPN. So it is the same situation, same creatives. They're way better about their own continuity. I would say Enterprise out of all of the Star Trek shows may have the most consistency when it comes to its continuity and is the most serialized of all of the Berman era shows. It's just Voyager that just never seems to want to deal with its own continuity in any way. And it's bizarre that it's like this. That's Voyager, man. Um, We get our first look at the space baddies. So there's a ship chilling out cloaked in this uh, this pop up nebula. And it's a real slow pan, right? We go around the bridge. I'd say the tech looks vaguely Cardassian. 
Um, but we're seeing on the view screens, there's shots of Voyager. There's a lot of sensor equipment. And all you're seeing the, are these aliens from the back. They've got these big puckered heads uh, and these very, very high collared uniforms. It almost looks like some sort of weird uncircumcised penis situation going on. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to shit all over these aliens and then finally they pan around to the faces and it like it's a very different looking creature than what we normally see on Voyager. These dudes are fat as fuck um, and it worked for me and I really dug these aliens and I think again Memory Alpha Memory Alpha at this point has become so anemic in their entries and and we've said before, like the earlier seasons of Voyager, there was tons of information, tons of behind the scenes stuff, just really interesting reading. And anymore, man, there's barely anything in these entries. And there's zero real conversation about these aliens. I don't even know what the fuck they're called. Um, they, they never were named anything on screen for 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 one. They've they refer to their hierarchy, but they never refer to what it is that they actually are. Uh, they look like Doctor Who villains to me. You ever watch any Doctor Who? Negative. The feel of the way these guys look with their sort of very nerdy, uh, kind of nebbish way of operating, the high collar, like weird plastic suits, and then uh, the pig-like makeup that they were in. Uh, it, it felt very, very Doctor Who to me and the way that the BBC does kind of like their aliens because it's more lighthearted. And these guys, they never struck you as being very serious antagonists no. just based on their visuals. Like these just seem like a, a, a boat full of pushover nerds. Like I, I think Tuvok could probably phaser fire down an entire ship of these fools in about 20 minutes. I want to focus in on that. Like I feel like Given the fact this is a throwaway comedy episode, I feel like this is the writer's room ribbing the fan base that that these guys are like basically you and me, right? People who are watching these events from afar, overanalyzing any information they can get their hands on. Uh, you know, they're overweight, nerdy. I mean, the guy straight up stops his boss and goes, well, actually. like." That's the script is actually I've never fucking heard that in Star Trek before. But if these guys are not a a spoof of the Star Trek fan base as a whole, uh, I, I don't know what is. That is an excellent point. Like they really. Wow. They really are positioned like that. That's that's actually, I think, really good insight. Yeah, the, the attitude of these guys are pretty contemptible, but more than anything, it's the I've been watching this idealized version of something and then based my reality off of it. And then I have to scramble at the last minute. And when I finally recognize that it's all fantasy, yeah, that, that does feel like a bit of a a jab at Star Trek fans themselves. Ugh. Yes, this is evil. <laughs> This is evil galaxy quest. This is what happens if you don't treat your fandom with um, with respect here. Uh, so these aliens, their deal is they observe from afar 
and they have a ton of rules to play by because it's a very cautionary race and they're not looking to get into a fight that they're not going to win. They're risk averse and they observe. And once they are able to satiate whatever reporting criteria they have, they run the results through a consensus. And it, it, what was the it called the hierarchy, right? Yeah, the hierarchy, which maybe that's a review board somewhere else. Maybe it's a software suite. Who knows? But it will give an ultimate determination to proceed or delay or whatever. Uh, and if they deem a risk to be low enough, then they will roll up in cloaking uh, with cloaked ships and uh, mug whatever target they have and say, hey, give me them ducats. We need this more than you. And you're going to give it up or we're going to blow you up. So it's a cowardly but intelligent race of uh, of fat bad guys, which that's that's usually what fat means is you're either incompetent or you're bad. And these guys are a little you're, you're always cowardly, like yeah. always cowardly. <laughs> uh, so there's a there's a little bit of a power struggle. You've got the very cautious uh, commander of this vessel and you've got one of his sensor technicians and the boss comes over and reprimands him and says, you know, listen, what did I tell you? Uh, the ship's too risky. We don't have any information on it. We don't want to fuck with these guys. Why are you wasting time looking into it? And the guy goes, well, act actually, again, that's that's an exact quote. Actually, uh, I found a way to bypass their sensor defenses. And I've got front row seats as to what's going on in there, because while I can't see the ship's internal sensors, they do have a holographic crew member and I've been able to hack him and basically use him as a remote um, observer. And uh, that's what ties this all together, right? The doctor's daydreams are the only thing this guy's going to have access to. This guy remotely viewing the daydreams uh, is creating a error in the doctor's codes where the daydreams begin to get intrusive and turn into like waking nightmares you kind of get a little bit of hero worship that develops as a result of this. Right. He becomes a fan. He's a fan of the fan version boy. of the story. He gets a fanboy, if you will. Um, it, there, the, so much of this episode's tied up in just all of the jokes and all of the, the scenes of the doctor, you know, living his fantasies that the most important to the plot is that he sees himself as the emergency command hologram. There's a great sequence where he's fighting the Borg. And he like activates the program and it like puts four pips on his collar. Like they all just kind of come in the worst uh, CGI in the show today. <laughs> you thought species eight, four, seven, two is bad. Just wait until you see these fucking CGI pips overlay over his turtleneck. It's, it's, not, it's not a great effect. No, it's not a great effect. But it's it's funny the way Picardo does a great job, right? Like he's great in this whole episode of playing up his co overconfidence and, you know, in, in all of his uh, his scenes of daydreaming versus the reality where he's first chastened because like he finds out everyone sees his fucking <laughs> daydreams and is, is humiliated and then later when the plot requires him to have to actually like play one of them out to uh end the conflict with the fanboys uh he's very like you know 
trepidatious and unsure. I don't actually know how to do this. Um, and he's he's great throughout. Like in every instance, Robert Picardo makes this episode as good as it ends up being, whether you think it's a B plus, which I think it is, or a C plus like you do. Well, I mean, he's great. Cast that net wider. I don't think anybody does a shitty job in this. Like I, I this is one of those situations where it's just kind of a, a limp script for me. But Neelix is good. Tuvok, who gets stunted on this entire episode and gets his ass kicked a few times in the fantasy things like the doctor really enjoys cutting Tuvok down a peg or two. But especially the the first scene where the pond far gets him. Um, I think Tim Russ does a super awesome job physically portraying the pain that uh, Tuvok's going through. So that's good. Um, I want to call out the scene where Janeway formulates her response to the doctor's request to uh, go through command training and having expanded um, opportunities on the ship. Again, it's a backslide. We go to uh, what's the one where the doctor starts going through those uh, those blue screen crashes because he let his friend die that they erased out of his mind the the hidden portions of that episode was Janeway having to admit that there's more to the doctor and that he's actually people and not just an application so again it's it's a it's a big backslide for her in this to be back in this 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 mindset that he's a second class citizen Um, I see what you're saying that the fact that the fact that Janeway hasn't grown from that moment last season seems just another knock like god it is painful to sit here and and say three times a week hey do you remember that episode that we watched where this character growth should have happened too bad if the, apparently the writers didn't fucking care like but here it is again right for the second time just in the last 40 minutes that we've been talking about this so uh, why the fuck is she not like oh yeah he's a person now <laughs> we should treat him like one no you're the doctor toaster and you need to stay in the sick bay where you belong uh pregnant and barefoot because because we're humans and you're not and i say that um you know her ultimate not her ultimate but her first reaction to the doctor's request for command training is uh, you know, this is really outside the scope. And for us to even explore that, it would take months of investigation and engineering. And it's like, mo- who gives a fuck about months? You've got years you're going to be doing this flight back. Like, you've got all the time in the world to research whatever you want. Like, what a shitty reason to give him. Oh, but I'm going to make the recommendation to Starfleet when we get back. So that's that's my my nod to you like okay whatever um there's another scene too where i think the doctor starts becoming aware that his daydreaming is getting invasive and becoming problematic and he kind of starts to broach the subject with harry kim and he says uh hey no no with neelix and he says hey neelix do you ever daydream and neelix drops some pretty cool talaxian wisdom on him and says oh you know uh my people we like to think that daydreams were alternate realities peeking through the veil and kind of giving you um, a glimpse at the worlds that could have been elsewhere. Uh, why do you daydream? And then like the doctor flat out lies to him and says, no, absolutely not. Which, and I know the doctor is not 
as far as these scripts go, the doctor is not AI. The doctor is not a robot. He is definitely a human being with feelings and, and everything else. He is not restrained by any sorts of code. He's a mass murderer when he needs to be. So certainly lying to humans is not something that's out. You know, we're not talking about data here, but it was another kind of a, a prickly part of the episode for me. My biggest complaint about this episode is that it's a it's a four laughs, jokey, fun, lighthearted episode, ultimately. Right. Right. But there was a real opportunity here to see what makes the doctor tick. And they explore it partially with his desire you know, Janeway, when they're leaving the uh, the holodeck as he's painting seven of nine naked, everybody's already left and they go to leave and the next scene pops in and it's him being congratulated by the crew on uh, achieving his command rank promotion. And he puts a, a pretty touching speech out there saying, you know, all he wants is to protect his family and the people he loves to the best of his ability. And that's when it kind of clicks with Janeway for the fourth time that he's actually a, you know, a person with feelings and the best desires. I mean, like it's a great like moment. And like that realization is, is, is the heartfelt moment in the episode. I, and I don't want to devalue it or talk shit about it because it's well done, but at the same time, yeah. Like, don't you, weren't you the same person that, you know, sat with him in this in the fucking holodeck for hours at a time while he tried to kind of realize his sentience by getting over a moral choice that he made and, and coming to terms with it. Like, come on, you know this. Right. Stop it. Get some help. So so there's elements in this where you cut all the jokey seven to nines boobs and touching the captain's butt humor out. And you say this is a doctor character development. We have a unique opportunity to basically look at his code and see what's really making him tick as a person. What are the important things in his life that his you're, you're getting a chance to look at his subconscious, basically, right? There's a lot that they could have drawn on that they just don't go anywhere near, specifically memories and impacts of people like Dr. Pell. And more importantly, his fantasy family, uh, which was um, it wasn't Hollow Pursuits, was it? Yeah, what? it was Hollow Pursuits. I think that was his child who died on the operating room table when he. Couldn't... Oh, yeah, yeah. The terrible trauma that Bolana gifted him. Like some really, really good, deep stuff they could have worked into this. And like, how much money did you waste sieging those fucking pips on his collar? Could we not have put that into casting to get his old family back in for like a 20 second clip of or, or even just drawing back on the, you know, in clip show fashion and showing some scenes out of that and being like, it's not just the doctor wanting to fuck everything with with a butt on the ship. Like he's got some serious stuff floating around on there that has a very real impact on who he is now and how he's grown into the, the for all intents and purposes, human being that you have today versus where he was when he was initially uh, activated. And and, that, and that's a huge miss for me. It's uh mirrors everything we talked about last week, which I think adds to my frustration as well, as I consider your point, which is, uh, you know, we talked about Bolana and, you know, how we've watched that episode four times before we watched it. 
because Bolana's character never advances for some reason. And the doctor's character is the one that's advanced the most. Head yet, and shoulders above everybody else. Yet, even his character growth episodes seem to be hampered by a lack of commitment to the level of growth that he has experienced, even though his has been the most manifestly successful in actually growing. And it's another Voyager, uh, shall we say, innovation. This is to say their characters don't grow ever, except the Doctor and Seven of Nine. Like, think about it. You go all the way back to season one. Is Janeway any different? A little bit. She's, it, it, but most of her growth happened early and then stopped. Right? She became more comfortable as a as a matron like figure to the crew as well as their captain, and that was the end of it. Has Tom? No, we've had like four episodes of bad boy Tom starts to like become less of a bad boy and then he's still a bad boy, right? Like every fucking time, right? Uh, has Tuvok changed? By nature, by by necessity, he never does because he's a Vulcan. Oh, Alana, been I, down I, that I stand road. by your initial comment, which was Tuvok was a complete character from episode one. The only journey he has to go on is to admit that he's human and has a, a sense of humor. Which, because he is a text, perhaps the only, te- well, I don't know what the chick on Enterprise is, but certainly Spock, you know, had the human weakness in him. He is a, a perfect Vulcan and will never go on that journey unless it's because he's sick. I I think Tuvok even uh, discounting what ends up happening in Enterprise, like he's still the only like complete textbook Vulcan main character ever on Star Trek. And so his lack of changing is part of his character, which so we'll give that a pass. But Harry, like every once in a while, you get a flash of like a confident, you know, seasoned Harry. It's been in space for six years, but then it just never sticks. Uh, Chakotay, like he his characterization hasn't changed much. His performance has gotten better. We used to talk about he had like all the authority of a substitute teacher. But now he's like he has a much more established sort of lane that his character is in that we like, but he hasn't changed. The scripts treat him better. He's not changed. He's just not written as terribly. And then you you did have another character, I think, that underwent a lot of change, but uh, he's not on the show anymore. They, they used to call him Neelix. Uh, I think he's a little more of a recurring special guest now, like doesn't show up very often, <sighs> but I guess like he's the only other example. Yeah. 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 There is some outstanding facial acting in this episode. Uh, they they have a big uh, sequence where they become aware of the fact that the doctor's malfunctioning. Uh, it's becoming a big problem. Uh, all of his very humiliating sexual fantasies are scrutinized by the bridge crew who sit there and watch them um, getting off alongside him when seven of nine's boobies are out. Uh, and ultimately, Bellana fixes the problem. Right. And the doctor, Jamie, comes by and says, hey, you know, how you doing? You know, at least there's no permanent damage to your code. And he goes uh quite the opposite. I've been completely humiliated and my life sucks now because of this fucking daydream thing I did. And she's like, ah, oh, no, it's not a big deal. It's the 24th century, man. Everyone wants to fuck everyone else. We're okay with it. As you long as you have my permission and the chief medical officer's permission, then then you can fuck, but only then. No unauthorized sex with aliens. So they 
Uh, they resolve like, hey, don't fuck with your code anymore, even though I've already told you this like six times. Don't fuck with your code. No more of this daydreaming business. Sure, I promise, whatever. But then the doctor starts having daydreams again. And what it is, is the fanboy alien uh, is contact him. He has reinitialized these daydreams because it allows him to communicate in secret with the doctor and say, hey, listen, I'm an alien. We've been watching you guys. I'm kind of the reason why your daydream code fucked up in the first place. But uh, I've kind of fallen in love with you and you need to get the hell out of here because we are about to space mug you. And the doctor's like, that's bullshit. I don't believe you. And he's like, no, it's the truth. You know, search your feelings, you know, it to be true. And he's like, no. And he's like, I am your father. And then cuts his arm off. Um, but the doctor is now aware that the ship is in danger. And he goes to Janeway and says, we're about to get jumped. Janeway rightfully believes that he is malfunctioning again and kind of gets on his ass about like, why'd you reinitialize these dreaming things? He says, listen, I've got proof. Uh, my buddy in the fanboys uh, told me how to circumvent their cloaks. And sure enough, uh, they do it and you see three attack ships coming in. And I thought the moment where Janeway kind of stands up and walks out of her chair, it's like a fade to commercial situation. But like the look of fear and concern and what the fuck on her face really stood out to me as as above and beyond the performances that Kate Mulgrew usually gives. She did a good job in this episode, too. Like everybody had to kind of switch between hamming it up and playing it straight. It's hard to do. The episode concludes with a nice note of appreciation for the doctor. You know, they invite him to the mess hall. They're like, hey, good job bluffing the aliens because he, he has to portray the command hologram and basically have uh, uh, Janeway being Cyrano de Bergiac in his ear and, and you know bluff his way through. I will blow you up with my photonic cannon. You should listen to me uh, to make the fanboys run away. So that ha- that works. And you know, there's a, okay, doctor, you're a real boy moment at the end. They give him a medal, you know, seven kisses him, but I just, I'm not going to pose for you. Yeah. Um, that's huge character development there that the that seven of nine would platonically kiss him on the cheek he did such a good job in this episode that they broke out the dress uniforms like that's that's more important than a starfleet accommodation like when you're all four though all four of them that they have yeah it's just four of them (laughs) yeah they just have them fitted for it was like chakotay janeway harry and balana that's it yeah that was it Oh, but you, you know what? Neelix, a special guest star, Neelix, who used to be a regular, was there. He had, he had his finest African, discount African king outfit. So, you know. Yeah. So, again, my takeaways from this was uh, I found the fanboy species to be interesting for many different reasons. And I also found the fact that they got a bunch of doughy fat asses playing yeah. them. Yeah, look, or or at least people who under a whole bunch of makeup were doing a good proximity of it of being they, fat. They they did a really good job of of feeling fat. <laughs> As a man who has spent much of his life fat, I identified with where they were at. Like these, the fanboys. You cannot watch this episode and as they're on screen, not be like, "That's the comic book shop owner from The Simpsons." I. 
I did not actually pick that up as watching it, but now I can't not see it. You know, yeah. like after you after you said that, I'm like, holy shit, that's exactly what they were. Yeah. And which makes sense because we said you said at the beginning, like you never heard of this writer that wrote this the story, Bill Bailey. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he this is his only Trek script he ever did. Um, he was otherwise apparently a comic book writer. The title for this episode can be Voyager's fans are the worst. They have contempt for Voyager's fans when Voyager's fans understand the show better than the writers, right? It's like a contempt that is completely unearned. You don't have the right to talk shit about your fans like watching and nitpicking your show when you just show such a complete lack of care in its execution as is to invite the criticism to begin with. Like, is come on. Voyager was Voyager Star Trek selling out? Was was like you've got a small video game studio and they're putting out like really killer games and then like a bigger studio EA buys them and says, now we we need you to just pump out um, cell phone microtransaction games and just sacrifice all of your artistic integrity uh, because we're just going to make shovelware and, and blast this shit out there. And it was that what Voyager was for UPN. Like we like this Star Trek thing. We don't really care about it, but we know, people out there do care about it so just give me something we can just pump out on this network that's really easy to digest and um and make it go and 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 star trek was like yeah we can do that we said at the beginning that it was a huge change in how trek was being used it went from syndication to a network anchor and the expectations of what it would accomplish were a great deal different because it was propping up the entire UPN and serving as their most popular show on the entirety of the prime time lineup that they had available to them. So your question is, is this Trek selling out? I think this is Trek trying to uncomfortably fit into a mold it was never built to fit into, right? Like, TNG did really great episodic television, but it was it had to do that because it was syndicated, right? Like when when TNG was put out there and sold to all of the individual television stations that ran it in each different market, you never were guaranteed to know what you were going to be watching, right? Like the time that it would be on would be different depending on where you were and you got into a routine potentially uh, for like where you lived when, when it would be on, but it could just change or things could be weird. So the episodes had to be pretty self-contained by design so that no matter what that particular licensee of the syndication would play, you could just watch it. You just pick up and watch it, but it was a big hit. And as time went on and schedules sorted, uh, sort of became more static, it became like the, its continuity took better hold. You had more like two parters. You had like the big season finale, season premiere thing happen. And so this the sense of continuity started to develop because the environment around the show allowed it. And then so when they made DS9, they invested themselves fully in that idea to the point where entire seasons became serialized as time went on. 
But that's a different circumstance to operate in than this show has to get numbers because we have to sell fucking ads, right? TNG never had to sell a fucking ad. The stations bought it, right? So, you know, the people sought it out and wanted to see it because it was good. But when they were producing it, they were producing it so that stations would buy it, not that it – like, oh, hey, like we need eyeballs on this thing because the fucking Nielsen numbers weren't good last week. So we're going to make some changes. We're going to do that. And now we're limited into this 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 these these guardrails that are on our show of things that the network execs above probably the people that were producing it, you know, like the like even above Rick Berman, right? The UPN people are saying that they need who don't give any fucks about Trek whatsoever. And so I think that is the process that we've seen play out in these episodes is a a battle between the people that want to make Trek that have been making Trek now at this point for going on 15 years around the time this is happening and know what works and what doesn't versus what did what do the executive management of the people who are over in the franchise say versus the executive management of the people over the network are saying is necessary. And so the show just ends up feeling like it always does to us which is so close to being good but unable to take those steps that really would make it great and then when they make enterprise next they make different mistakes (laughs) like they (laughs) they dispose of like oh we need to like really invest in the continuity and like making the show feel more like serialized because tv was going in that direction which they did and then they just fucked it fucked that show up in entirely different ways but i don't know that's my that's my thesis on on the question overall i'm glad that for a silly joke episode we could have so much so much uh, critical thinking and and negativity. <laughs> yeah, it's the weird thing about talking about a comedy episode like this. Like our episode on uh, on Bride of Chaotica was pretty short too. Yeah, and we that loved was a good it. episode. We loved it, but it was still yeah. short because yeah. you can only be like they did a joke and it was funny. And then you he know, touched so. her butt. Yeah, and then there his was hand butt was on her butt. He touched his button and looked into the camera, and it was really funny. Like. Yeah. Okay, we did it. So we, we gotta find our content somewhere else. But we made it. It's an hour now, buddy. We did it. We can we can check out now. <laughs> uh coming up next, season six, episode five. Alice and I see uh Tom on the right, and there's Harry on the left, and in between them there's uh I think that's a man, perhaps a Talaxian. I don't know. It might have been a crew member at some point, a regular cast member. I think Neelix was the name. The crew discovers a space-age junkyard near their course, which sounds dope. Desperate for supplies, Voyager later finds an eager trader. This sounds uh, low stakes. It sounds everyday slice of life. It sounds like exactly the kind of episode I want on a Voyager. It's none of those things. And also a perfect example of something I talked about 10 minutes ago of all of the episodes having to do with Tom Paris are repeats. I just want to make sure I destroy all of your expectations before you watch you this. You just fucking just, got it. Just like, you're like, you're just like, Oh, it's going to be this. It's going to be this thing. I like, like, no, it's going to be none of the things you like and everything you hate. Like I, let me crush your hopes and dreams. What is going on with season six? Has season six been good? I, I didn't season- like the Klingon episode. Um, the 
the Equinox was good. Uh, the Borg episode was okay. This was not my cup of tea. It wasn't awful. And now you're saying this episode five that sounds like it should be pretty interesting is going to be a turd. Like, not a good start. Yeah, season six is a weird one to me. Um, there, I, I feel like all of the best episodes of Voyager actually are behind it, if I'm going to be honest with you. Like, we have seen the high, the highest the show actually gets. That's real depressing to hear. Yeah, that is not to say that there aren't some good episodes uh, and then some good episodes within season six and and also season seven. Uh, But yeah, none of them, none of them rise to the level of competing with what we've already seen. And not I'm not just talking about timeless, which always feels like it's cheating, right? Like to say, oh, it's not as good as Timeless. Well, you know, I can understand like a, an episode of Voyager not necessarily reaching the heights of Timeless. That, that's, that was some like all-time good trek. I'm saying like, I don't know if there's another episode of Voyager that rises to the rank of Eye of the Needle. Ooh. Ooh. So. Somber words, Joe. Yeah. Let's uh, set those expectations a little bit lower. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, speaking of expectations, uh, we will always endeavor to set them as low as possible for our Vidra Please listener. Um, <laughs> we uh, we look forward to have. Uh, where am I going with this? That was a terrible segue. <laughs> I got lost in that one. Patreon, usually, Twitter, email, uh, whatever. Yeah, no, I'm usually really good Nailing at and well at, met. I'm usually really good at the segues. It's like my one talent in life. Uh, but for whatever reason, totally messed that up. Uh, instead, I'll simply say phantom fanboys lurking in nebulas are, uh, are or they're tunneling you and, and, and thwarting your segwayness. But, uh, we have a Patreon, uh, <laughs> kicking a few bucks if you like, uh, if you want to, if you want to, uh, support such rank amateurism, uh, we have a Twitter, you know, feel free to interact with us on on, uh, on that if that's your preferred method of shouting into the void and having a bird shit in your hey, mouth. If you haven't uh, <laughs> a jump ship on Facebook yet, which God knows why. I'll tell you why I haven't is the Vija Please trauma support. Yeah, I was about to say that. The only, the only <laughs> reason to be on Facebook, the Vija Please trauma support group, uh, where we share our 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 C minus Trek memes <laughs> and uh, otherwise like to uh, talk over not only Voyager, but Star Trek in general. And everyone's welcome. All you got to do is apply. We just keep it closed because we respect your privacy <laughs> and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>